Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft Podcast, presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and week 12 of college football is over And as college football typically does, they outdid themselves. We teased it last week in a joking matter, and that's exactly what they did this weekend. We had uh, just one top five team go down, but we had a bunch of games go down to the wire this weekend. Just some outstanding slate of college football. We've got rivalry weekend here upon us in Thanksgiving week, but we've got plenty to cut through here with what happened this weekend in college football. We're going to start things off with Saturday scouting. Dane Brugler is here to recap the action. We've got our game balls and players of the week and everything we normally hit on, as well as some announcements from the Shrine Bowl, the Senior Bowl, some injury news, unfortunately, uh, some news with players declaring for the draft. So plenty we're going to hit on with Dane in Saturday Scouting. After that, we've got on the clock our weekly debate segment. Gabriella DiGiovanni's here to play as the uh, the judge and jury for Dane and I. This week's segment, all about the top two running backs in this class, B. John Robinson and Jameer Gibbs. We're going to hit on those two guys in that segment. Then we're going to wrap it up talking quarterbacks with Jordan Reed from ESPN. He's here to talk, talk us through his process for evaluating the quarterback position and, and what that means for him, obviously very close uh, to that position. We'll talk through through that with Jordan at the top of the show. As always, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got questions, if you've got a mock draft for us to break down, rankings, whatever it is, uh, we'll probably do that coming up here as we start to get a little bit slower in terms of the flow of games. Uh, Once the playoff is announced and we have that little break between uh, the regular season and bowl season, or maybe I'll just ask you guys for a bunch of questions and mock drafts and we'll do a whole segment just looking at your mock draft. So get out ahead of it and you can go and leave us that mock draft over on our Apple podcast page and we'll hit it here in the upcoming weeks. Uh, That said, let's get into this. Excited to talk through a crazy, crazy week of college football with Dane Brugler. It's time now for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, time to kick things off here with Dane Brugler for Saturday Scouting. And before we get into some of these all-star game announcements with the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl, uh, some unfortunate news uh, on Sunday afternoon is Hendon Hooker, the star quarterback for the Tennessee Volunteers, uh, considered the Heisman frontrunner for a majority of this season, Dane, he is now out for the year with a torn ACL and their upset loss against South Carolina. Um, obviously terrible for Hendon Hooker, and I think everybody uh, in the college football world feels for him. But uh, what does this mean, I guess, for him long-term? Obviously, there were questions questions about Hendon Hooker and his transition to the NFL. Now you're going to throw the injury into it on top of everything else. Yeah, it's so unfortunate. I mean, what he did the last two years for that Tennessee program, uh, it's hard to really measure. Um, It's just so much fun to watch. I don't know that it's going to necessarily hurt him a ton. Um, As long as the rehab, you know, the surgery, everything goes well and there's no complications. Um, but I do think it's a big missed opportunity for him, uh, you know, not being able to go to the senior bowl and the combine, um, you know, that's, it's, it's a big missed opportunity to put his name, uh, you know, out there and say, this is why I'm a first round pick. This is why I belong in the top 50. Um, you know, and, and you, so you go back to past examples, you know, to, uh, Tagovailoa, it was a different injury, but yep. I mean, he had what, like a separated hip. I mean, and yep. it happened right about this time. Yep. Uh, well, you know, three years ago. So, um, you know, there, he, he didn't, uh, you know, he couldn't work out at the, at the combine, uh, talking about Tua, uh, that was the year with COVID. So there weren't any pro days or anything like that. So, you know, teams didn't really have a great chance to, you know, get seed to, uh, now there, we're talking about different, um, you know, 
projections in terms of where they'll be drafted, but it didn't really hurt Tua. Um, and, you know, we've seen in the past a guy like Jamison Williams had an ACL tear in January last year, still went top 12 overall. Different positions, obviously, but, um, you know, if the rehab is, is goes well as according to plan, I don't know it's really going to hurt him that much. I still think he'll be somewhere in that day two discussion. Um, and, you know, he'll he'll be able to – one of the things that's really going to help him through the process is the interviews, and that's something that he'll still be uh, very strong uh, at the combine and then throughout the process. Yeah, whether he goes to the uh, Senior Bowl or the Shrine Bowl, uh, I don't think I'm trying to, you know, and I'm obviously I don't have any details on this, but trying to think from a timeline standpoint, like where is he going to be at from a like, is he off crutches, on crutches? Like, how will he be from in terms of being able to get down there? It, it, will he be able to go to that game and still be able to meet with teams and get on the board and things like that? Uh, obviously, by the time we get to the combine in Indianapolis, he'll be the, the the surgery will have been completed for weeks at that point, so teams will be able to check it out from that start and see how the the rehab is going so um from a timeline standpoint it should be pretty clean um i would would be my assumption but uh just on just unfortunate uh for him obviously just for the for the short term and for the long term hopefully the long term like you said not overly affected uh too negatively uh let's now get into some of these all-star game announcements and we will start uh with the shrine bowl here dan as uh we've got six new names to go through and we'll start uh, just two on offense we've got uh zavian valade uh the running back take us through valade and, and what he brings to the NFL. Yeah, he put his name on the NFL radar when he was at Wyoming. Uh, he was a grad transfer, goes yep. to Arizona State, and he's been really productive for them. Uh, he's found the end zone 10 out of the 11 games this season. Uh, I think he catches the ball well. Uh, I think it was the UCLA tape where he, he had like 10 receptions, something like that. Mm. So this is just a, a really solid back with size uh, and a guy that can run between the tackles. Uh, Jaden Hazelwood, wide receiver, the, uh, the other uh, offensive player announced over here in the last week for the Shrine Bowl. Yeah, slot receiver uh, for the Razorbacks, uh, former top recruit at, at Oklahoma. Uh, good size, 6'3", 215, catches the ball well. Uh, only one 100-yard receiving game this year, so hasn't been super productive. Um, but, you know, this is uh, this will be his chance to, to show what he can do at the Shrine. Going over to the defensive side, a couple defensive linemen, Western Kentucky's Broderick Martin and Ferris State pass rusher Caleb Murphy. But I want to ask you about another Arizona State stun, uh, Sun Devil, uh, Kyle Sowell. Uh, Arizona State to uh, to Las Vegas. Uh, that is a very tight pipe, uh, pipeline we've seen over these last couple of years. Uh, Sowell uh, next up on that list. Yeah, that's a great point. Think about the Sun Devils uh, on defense that were at the Shrine last year. Jack Jones and um, you know the linebacker. I'm forgetting his name now. Now, um, but they they had uh, they're gonna keep that going and look he's a really strong tackler. Uh, I believe it's the Stanford game where he was everywhere. I mean, throw that tape on and uh, it, it was a fun thing to watch. He, he had like 14 tackles. I, I didn't chart a single missed tackle in that game. Uh, he has a a good size build. I mean, six four, two thirty, um, and usually those numbers are inflated. I don't think those are inflated. He looks six four, two thirty. And I think he's going to run well, too. I, I think, you know, maybe in the high four sixes. So I, I think there's a lot to to like here, um, you know, with the linebacker. And then going to the defensive secondary, Corey Trice uh, was one of the top corners in the senior class coming into the season. I know there was a lot of buzz about the kid from Purdue. Uh, take us through Corey Trice and, and what he will bring to Las Vegas for the Shrine Bowl. King-sized athlete. Mm. Uh, verified 6'3", 220, 32-inch arms. Wow. I mean, that right there has your attention. Uh, you know, you wish he was a little bit faster, probably going to run in the four fives. Um, and uh, there is a, a noticeable uh, burst that's missing when he's trying to mirror some of the more savvy route runners out there. So 
I think the question is, okay, is he a safety? Is he a true corner? Um, I, I think that's something where going to the, the the Shrine game and seeing him during practice, hopefully they give him a chance to uh, maybe play both positions just to see how he does. So, yeah, Trice, is, he's a good player, and I think the size uh, is obviously the first thing you notice about him, but uh, there's more to him than that. All right, let's get over to the Senior Bowl. We've got a, a handful of additions here. We'll start with Texas running back Roshan Johnson. And uh, the Senior Bowl, the, the three running backs they've added so far are all very similar in terms of their, their size, their build, and, and their running style. Roshan Johnson, the backup to Bijan Robinson, one of the top running backs in the country. But uh, he is not to be trifled with either. He is a very interesting prospect who's played for four years with the Longhorns. Uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite running backs in this class. He, a former high school quarterback who yep. – uh, go, you know, he's highly recruited, goes to Texas and they asked him to move to running back, uh, his freshman year, just you know, because of injuries and they had a need. Um, and then a, a lot of guys, you think they might feel discouraged when they ha- have to move positions, uh, like that. And then the next year, Bijan Robinson comes in five star, uh, and you're going to be overshadowed again, but Roshan just keeps working. He keeps making plays on special teams. Uh, well, when he gets his opportunities on offense, either as, uh, you know, handoffs or, uh, you know, getting uh, targets in the passing game, he makes the most of them. And so uh, and it's interesting talking to some of the coaches there for at, at Texas. They say he's been a key part of the culture change within the program. So you think about everything that he has to offer in the locker room, on the field, his versatility. He could be a third down back. He could be a short yardage back. Uh, I think he's going to be a really valuable mid-round pick for a team. Mm, he's he's a lot of fun, and, and I love the quarterback background that you mentioned. Uh, he's been a pivotal special teams player for them in the past. Uh, was has always taken care of the football. He's got over 340 touches, uh, and he never put the ball on the ground. So I had Roshan Johnson, uh, a guy I really really liked coming into the fall as well. Uh, let's go now to the wide receiver position. Three guys announced here: uh, Elijah Higgins from uh, from Stanford, Jaden Reed from Michigan State, Jonathan Mingo from Ole Miss, and we'll start with Higgins because uh, he's a fascinating player. 6'3", 244 pounds. He was on the freak list this year. I know some view him as a receiver. The senior ball announced him as a receiver, but at 244, like, you got to be talking about this guy as a possible move tight end as well. Well, that's it'll be interesting to see what he weighs in at. Yeah. Um, you know, because, yeah, he he was he has fluctuated between 220 and 240, uh, or two, 220 and 245, really. Yeah. So what is his prime weight for the in-season and then for a game like this? Um, I, you know, I, he's a – you obviously notice the size. I just – I wish – because he, ha, he, he has an NFL body, there's no doubt. I just wish he consistently played up to that size. It, it's, there's times where – um, you know, uh, physical coverage will really disrupt his focus or, um, you know, he just doesn't, he doesn't break tackles like you think he would for a guy that size. So, uh, he's a guy that has played slot. He's played outside. Um, I just, there's too many almost plays on his tape. And uh, that's something that, you know, you, you want to like him a little bit more and maybe after the senior bowl week, uh, maybe we will, but um, he's, a t- he's exactly the type of guy I want to see at an all-star game. No doubt. He's going to be fascinating just to see what the transition looks like. And I agree. What's he going to weigh in at? And then also like, I'm fascinated to see what he tests like at the combine. Cause some of the numbers that have been reported with him are very interesting as well. Uh, the mid four fives at 240 would be really, really impressive. Let's stay with the big body guy. Let's go with uh, Jonathan Mingo from Ole Miss. We talked about him with decent amount this year, 6'2". He's 220 pounds, nothing to sniff at uh, from a size standpoint. He's a pretty good blocker, uh, strong on contact in all areas, and uh, he's been a a prolific player this year, but he's a four-year starter at at Ole Miss, even though the production has not really been there until his senior season. 
Yeah, I threw on the uh, Arkansas tape from this past weekend uh, just because I wanted to see Zach Evans. Um, and I'll talk mm. about him a little bit later. And first play of the game, Mingo, um, I believe it was just a simple out route. And he, he makes this beautiful one-handed grab uh, on a throw that, you know, most receivers don't make. Um, and so it's just, okay, another positive for Mingo. And he's a guy that I don't, it, it, you know, he's got good size. I don't know what he's going to run. It's not going to be a bad time, but it's not going to be a time that maybe jumps out at you either. But this guy, he just, when he's targeted, good things usually happens. He's got big hands. He's not sudden in his route breaks, but he's very coordinated. Uh, doesn't lose a ton of momentum uh, out of his breaks. And so he's able to sustain that down the field. Uh, he doesn't go to the ground easily. Uh, he makes it a door for defenders to get him on the ground. So he can be more than just a possession threat. I don't I don't know. More and more I watch Mingo. I like him uh, more and more. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up going somewhere in the top 100, top 125 picks. I I, I think his best football is ahead of him. Yeah, he's a, he's a fun player. Uh, and I know that the, the, there are some things from the profile standpoint that won't stand out to uh, people that focus in on the analytics. But I do like uh, Jonathan Mingo. How about Jaden Reed? Uh, a guy I may, just, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to say maybe it's the Ole Miss uniform that's throwing me, but he kind of looks like a – like the third or fourth round version of an AJ Brown, like a poor man's AJ Brown. Interesting. You know, like there's there's some there are some similarities there. And, and again, maybe the old Miss uniform is and the helmets throwing me off. But uh, I do think that you know he's not quite on that AJ Brown level. Uh, you know, Brown should have been a first round pick. Yep. Uh, he's not on that level, but there are some similarities there. I think sty like stylistically, like I actually wrote down the kill Harry when, when Harry was at Arizona state. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that there are some similarities there. Um, and Harry went first round. I don't think we're talking about Mingo that high, but I think when, uh, when it's all said and done, like, you know, the kill Harry's turned into a, a number three, number four type of threat. And I think Mingo definitely is a, has a skill set that projects to that kind of a role. And I think you could say similar things, even though it comes in a very different package for Jaden Reed, who's five eleven, he's under, uh, under 190 pounds, um, but this is a guy that was a Paul Hornig Award finalist last year as the most versatile player in college football. Outstanding punt returner. Get the ball in his hands, and this guy can do work. Uh, Jaden Reed, uh, a fun addition here to, to the Senior Bowl. Yeah, unimpressive body type, but I tell you what, he does a nice job playing through contact uh, mid-route, and then he does a nice job with contested catches. I was pleasantly surprised by that on his film because uh, you you expect a speed guy and he is that absolutely uh he has that the secondary burst out of his breaks that uh can leave corners in his dust uh but he he really has that speed to get on top of routes uh ahead of corners and it's fun to watch but you know what he can take a hit and hold on to the football uh you know he can make the tough catch that corners can you know contest but he he finds a way to finish it and so um that, that ability to maintain his focus uh, adjust the throws, play through contact. That was a nice surprise when I, when I watched more of Reed's tape. And so, uh, you know, the third round projections uh, on Reed, I, I think were absolutely spot on. To your point, uh, Jaden Reed, each of the last two seasons has had a success rate on contested throws of over 53%, which you would not expect uh, for a guy with, a, you know, that, the frame that he does. Let's go now to the tight end position. Luke Musgrave from Oregon State. Uh, he was announced for the uh, for the Senior Bowl as well. Uh, this is a big-bodied kid who's got the ability to get down the seam. That, that speed, that, that stride length really stood out to me when studying him over the summer, and that's something I know they're excited about down in Mobile as well. Oh, I mean, this, Luke Musgrave is one of my favorite tight ends in this draft. Um, I mean, he he might he was my top senior, uh, and really, if not for the knee injury that sidelined him basically all this year, we'd be talking a lot more about him. Yeah. Um, I, I think yet, you know, it's his size, speed combination is really impressive. A, a really athletic big man. I mean, I, there's still as long as the knee injury isn't 
too serious in terms of, you know, like hopefully he's able to have a normal pre-draft process and there's no long-term worries. Very easily we can see him going somewhere in the top two rounds. Uh, let's now go over to the defensive side of the football. Texas linebacker DeMarvion Overshone uh, was announced for the Senior Bowl. And Overshone, he's been on the radar for for draft analysts for the last couple of years. And I remember it was the, the draft. It was last summer uh, after um, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa went in the second round. A lot of people felt was a first-round player coming out of Notre Dame. Uh, Overshone was like, oh, th- th- this could be the next version of Owusu-Koromoa. Six foot three, just over 220 pounds, converted safety, now making the move as a linebacker. What's he going to look like? And he didn't have the, the season last year that people were hoping for. So he went back for his senior year and now he's heading to Mobile. But an interesting player from an athleticism and skill set standpoint. Yeah, you want athletes, right? And this guy is an athlete. He can run um, and that speed allows him to make play at either sideline. Um, you know, he does a really nice job uh, slithering between blocks to make plays. Really aggressive tackler. You love the closing burst. He, he can make decleating hits. Uh, you know, but I think he's also smart about dishing out that, that play violence. So, you know, he's a really fierce tackler and that shows up, um, you know, there are times, the biggest thing you worry about where he just gets sucked up by blockers and he just, he, he get, he can't detach himself. And, uh, that, that's my biggest worry with him is he, he does a great job locating the ball carrier, but not the climbing blocker in front of him. And that's something that he, you know, not being a great take on player, not, uh, being able to consistently uh, defeat those blocks that, that could hurt him as he transitions to the NFL. But still, he's a type of athlete that I think some team is going to take a chance on. Uh, I, I think he sneaks into that top 100 as long as he uh, you know performs during the pre-draft process like we think he can. Yeah, he's a guy that, like I said, has been on the radar uh, for a while. A very, very intriguing skill set. We've got three DBs to hit through here, Dane. And I want to start with Stanford's Caillou Blue Kelly, uh, who was announced for the Senior Bowl. And I tell you what, I just studied him last week for the first time. 6'1", 190 pounds. You're going to worry about the speed. I think that that explosiveness, that that definitely is going to be a question. Uh, The tackling can be a little bit better. But I really like the way that he plays. He's got an edge to the way he plays in all areas of the field. I thought he matched routes well. I thought he had a feel for playing in phase and finding the ball late downfield. I thought he had good route awareness, uh, a very willing run defender, even though the tackling can get a little better. I just I liked the way he played, but I think you can definitely question what the upside is in terms of, uh, you know, he's definitely more quick than fast. Uh, you know, can he be beat over the top? You probably like him more in a zone scheme. But I, I liked Blue Kelly. It was, he was a fun watch. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I liked his twitch. I like how competitive that he is. He's got NFL bloodlines. His dad was a corner in the NFL for 10 years. Um, You know, and just studying the Arizona State tape, the Notre Dame tape, on each one, he's making plays where, you know, he's asked to play man-to-man. He's asked to play zone. And he does a great job anticipating the route, understanding what the receiver and the offense is doing, and then just going and making the play on the football. He he plays with length. He has – uh, you know, a, a good good arm length to him, so he's going to disrupt those passing windows. I, I'm with you. I, I think he's you know the click and close, um, how electric his foot quickness is, how agile he is. I, I'm gonna. I mean, he's. I think he's gonna go somewhere in the top 100 picks because uh, of what he offers there. I, I do agree with you about the speed. I, I mean, if you know, he might run in like a four, five, three. I don't know, but uh, the speed's not gonna wow you. But I think there's a lot of plenty of other things about his game that will translate well, and, and that's why I think a team's going to take them somewhere on day two. We already have one Illinois corner going to Mobile, and we've got two more that were announced last week, Sidney Brown uh, and uh, Devin Weatherspoon. Take us through both of these Illini players and uh, what they're going to bring to Mobile. 
Yeah, Devin Weatherspoon, I, he's got to be one of my favorite players in this draft. I mean, wow. he just, the more you watch, the, the more you're like, just get him on my team. I don't, whatever it takes. Um, the, his, the way he plays, the demeanor, the play personality, it's, I mean, he's a dog. It's awesome. It, it's so much fun to watch. Uh, but at the same time, he's still very controlled in in his movements and coverage. Uh, there are times where he gets there a little bit early. There's there's no doubt about it. But his ability to uh, make plays at the catch point, it shows up every single tape you watch. So, you know, just the Michigan game from this past weekend, uh, his it, the way he can take angles, both in the run game and then in coverage, are so impressive. Um, the way he accelerates through the ball, through uh, the defenders or through the ball carrier as as a tackler, that stands out uh, exceptionally well. So, I mean, Witherspoon, there's there's so much to like about him as as a, as a future NFL player. I think he's going to start in the league for a long time. Mm, yeah, Brown, obviously the twin brother uh, of one of the top running backs uh, in this this year's draft yeah. class, um, who has been outstanding throughout most of the year. That's Chase Brown, uh, twin brothers from Illinois. So uh, let's now, uh, Dane, transition into what we've seen uh, here this week in college football. And it was a doozy, man. I mean, what I talked about at the top of the show, like there was only one real upset with Tennessee, as we mentioned earlier, but a bunch of outstanding games and since we were talking about that game I mean my offensive game ball you got to go to Spencer Rattler right the quarterback from South Carolina a career day this is what and there was a tweet from our friend Mike Renner from PFF uh, where he and it was tongue-in-cheek but he was like this is why he was the number one player on everybody's mock draft in the summer of 2021 it was for this moment yeah. uh, but it, like tongue-in-cheek yes but also yes this is why people were so excited about his upside uh, almost 500 yards passing six touchdowns for Spencer Rattler as they uh, blew the doors off of Tennessee I mean, it, this was ex- exactly it. That's exactly why we talked about Spencer Rattler as being a, a potential number one overall pick a couple of years ago because of this talent that he showed. Now, you know, you throw on the Georgia tape or Kentucky tape or some of these other games early in the season, you're just not seeing this level of execution and accuracy uh, that he showed against Tennessee. Uh, the ball comes out of his hand so quickly. The arm talent's impressive. Uh, you know, making plays on the move, putting the ball where only his receivers can go make a play. And I mean, we've got to give credit to uh, the supporting cast as well. I mean, yeah. you talk about, I know you, you've been a big fan of Jaheim Bell uh, for a while now. I mean, he led the team in, in rushing just out of necessity more than anything. He's going to be but such really a fascinating off his projection, man. That projection is going to yeah. be so interesting with Jaheim Bell. I mean, he's... He's an H back, but you know, like what, where is he best as a, as a backfield player? Is he best in line? Is he best as more of a slot? I mean, he can do all of those things, but yeah, he doesn't have ideal size, but he's a good athlete, good speed, not great speed. Uh, yeah. I mean, Jaheim Bell's fascinating. And then I also want to shout out, uh, Antoine Wells, uh, the wide receiver who, if he declares, I think will be one of the more underrated receivers in this class, probably not going to wow you with the Mm. speed, like just in terms of the 40 yard dash. But his his uh, ball skills and body control are so impressive. His ability to adjust to the ball, finish through contact, the coordination along the sideline, some of those plays, uh, the way he was helping out his quarterback. I, I, I mean, it just he was really really impressive. So Wells, uh, I, I thought you know I, I almost picked him as my game ball for offense, but I figured we'd talk about him with uh, with Rattler. But that the, the entire supporting cast, that South Carolina offense was a lot of fun to watch. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what they look like against Clemson mm. on Saturday because yep. you know they it, it's such a you're going to be re, they're going to be reading about how good they were no all question. week 
can they can they get and this is a big thing especially for spencer rattler because you know there's a chance he might declare after this year and he'll be part of this draft class and we got to figure him out what is he doing this week is he able to put everything behind him and move on to clemson and that defensive line or is he going to be thinking about you know just how amazing this was and having that feeling that's going to disrupt their preparation and we'll find out on saturday at noon um against clemson their big rivalry game that's going to be – I think that's going to be really telling for this quarterback and that offense as a whole. It, it, it will be fascinating. And, like, if if let's say they were to upset Clemson and Rattler said, you know, this is, you know what, this is it, and that's how he goes out of his college career, I guarantee you there will be people that will say, yeah, like, I would take Spencer Rattler in the draft over Hendon Hooker. Uh, and, like, that to think of, like, the body of work <laughs> yeah. from this season and say, like, that's how it ended uh, would just be such a, like, a fascinating debate that some people will just not want to have whatsoever. But uh, that said, who gets your game ball? Uh, offensively this week I, I wanted to give it to Kenny McIntosh uh, yeah. from Georgia uh, uh, I wanted to give him a little bit of love his first career 100 yard rushing game uh, he had 143 yards and a touchdown on Saturday and against a pretty good uh, Kentucky defense he averaged 7.5 yards per carry and reminded everyone why he's in the mix to be the first senior running back drafted I, I don't think he's going to be drafted as high as James Cook was drafted last year. I think he was like the end of the second round. It's so like 63, 64. Uh, but he's got a good chance to go before Zamir White was drafted, which was the middle of the fourth round. So somewhere in between those two Georgia running backs from last year, I think is where we'll see McIntosh drafted. Yeah, it's it's so crazy to think, like you just as you just said, like his first 100-yard game, we're talking about uh, one of the top running backs uh, in this class. Let's now go to the defensive side of the football. Who got your game ball on D? Uh, sticking in the SEC, uh, give it to Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes. Mm. Notched the sixth interception of the season on Saturday. That that has him tied for uh, the, call, the the most in college football. But it was a little more special than that because he returned it uh, for a touchdown. That set a new SEC and new FBS record with six career pick six interceptions. Wow. Uh, I mean, this guy... It, he, he was on my top 50 board uh, last week, my updated top 50. He's been a little up and down. I mean, watch the Georgia tape, and you can see uh, you know the pick on him a little bit. But there's just no denying the ball production. 14 career interceptions, and of course, six of those returning them uh, for a touchdown. That, that will not go unnoticed. Uh, come draft time as teams try to figure these corners out and they're separating them. And, you know, those ball skills, that's something that every team wants. Uh, for me, you know, when, when we're giving out these awards every week, I do try and stick with games that I actually watched on TV as opposed to like, oh, like, let me look at the numbers afterwards. Um, but I will say, like, I could not ignore what Bowling Green defensive lineman Carl Brooks did uh, last week against Toledo. Maction midweek. 15 pressures, three sacks uh, for Carl Brooks. Now, he lines up typically off the edge, and he's like a 300-pound defensive end, so he gives you like major like Lamar Houston vibes. Uh, but I think obviously at yeah. that size, you're probably looking more as an interior guy moving on to the NFL. He was on uh, PFF's most recent top 100 list. I think he just cleared uh, the top 100 there uh, via Mike Renner. So uh, keep an eye on Carl Brooks from Bowling Green, a guy we have not talked about, but 15 pressures in one game. Uh, you could not get past that one. Three sacks. That was uh, both we're uh, weekly highs uh this past week in college football let's now get to our one play takeaway dan i'll let you kick it off uh one play that stood out most from this weekend that is going to uh, stick in your mind 
Uh, Ole Miss, they lost Arkansas, uh, but they they had so much offense in this game. They had two 200-yard rushers, uh, and they scored 27 points. Uh, but uh, Zach Evans was one of them, and yep. in, the, in the fourth quarter – he he uh, ripped off a, ripped off a fifty uh, yard touchdown, which really showed his acceleration. Uh, he found the cutback lane and just won the race to the end zone. And I, I think his ability to reach his top speed, really with just one step. I mean that that was it's so impressive and it makes him so tough to defend when he's in any type of space. So I think he's been a little overshadowed this week or this this season uh, because of the injury and and the freshman uh, uh, Judkins has been so impressive. But this game was kind of a reminder that, yeah, he's still a really talented back himself. Just, you know, get him the ball and, uh, you know, let him use that athleticism. He can make something happen. Uh, although a little bit of a look ahead for our pick six segment with Ross here this week, but Judkins going for 200 uh, definitely helped me out uh, in our weekly game with Ross Tucker. It's funny, ironically enough, I want to talk about the other player that Ross picked in that segment uh, in our head-to-head there. He picked Penn State running back uh, Nick Singleton to go off against Rutgers, and he actually did not even hit the century mark, but... He had a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown that was absolutely big time. And you saw the ju- – we usually don't focus on, like, the, the freshmen and sophomores in these segments, but uh, I had to bring up Nick Singleton. who has been one of the better running backs in college football this season, uh, showing uh, some of his return man chops uh, off on that play where he just uh, was shot out of a cannon from the end zone and took off, uh, cut back against the grain, and it was off to the races against Rutgers. So Singleton showing off some of that versatility, uh, certainly big for him moving forward. So uh, Nick Singleton, uh, my one-play takeaway. Let's now talk about our – future studs. And, and while we're talking about it, the guys that aren't eligible for this spring, um, but Raheem Sanders, the other running back in that Ole Miss Arkansas game, he goes for 232 and three touchdowns, all career highs, just under 10 yards a carry for Raheem Sanders, the running back from Arkansas. This guy is a hammer at 6'2", 227. Um, he's been one of the focal points of that offense. Uh, they've had some injuries on that side of the football for Arkansas, but uh, the Razorback, Raheem Sanders, he gets my future stud here for this week. A huge, huge day in the win over Ole Miss. Yeah, and I, I'm going to go uh, to Notre Dame. Uh, Benjamin Morrison, yeah. just a true freshman. He had his first career interception against Clemson and then played outstanding against Boston College. Three interceptions, uh, six foot, 180 pounds. He was a four-star recruit out of Phoenix. And, I mean, everybody wanted him, Alabama, Oregon, Washington, Michigan. Uh, but he chose Marcus Freeman and, and the Irish. And so he, he looks like a future stud. And, I mean, I we have to shout out Caleb Williams as well. Um, yeah. You know, what, what he did uh, at quarterback for USC against UCLA. There, some of those throws, man, you're just like – it's Mahomes-esque. And I know, you know, it feels like every year we're saying that about, you know, some type of quarterback. But, uh, you know, Caleb Williams looks like, uh, you know, he's going to be absolutely in that mix to be quarterback one next year, the number one overall pick. Um, and, I mean, he he there's no reason why he should not be at the top of or, you know, top three of the Heisman conversation, Caleb Williams is having that type of season. And he had that type of performance against UCLA. It's funny. You say every year we're like comparing someone to Mahomes. It feels like every year we're saying, Oh, like next year's quarterback class looks so, so good. And um, you know, everyone was saying that last year with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. And I think there's reason to, to say that again with, uh, with, with Caleb Williams, you've mentioned yeah. Drake may in the past. There's a lot to be excited about at that position right now, period in college football, uh, a lot of exciting playmakers. Let's now go to our film room recap. And, and I will kick this off. Cause I want, I want to talk about a player, Dane, I know you're really high on, and that's Rasheed Rice, the wide receiver from SMU, was recently announced for the Senior Bowl, and this is actually my first deep dive on Rasheed Rice. Six foot, 
203 pounds. He's got long arms and he's got a really thick lower half. So at six foot 200, you like the body type. This is a guy that's built to, to line up inside or outside. And he's done that throughout his career in that offense. Uh, there have been seasons where he has been like 97% in the slot. There have been others where he has been primarily on the outside. And that's what he's been most of this season. He is a long strider. He can get on top of corners fast and he can stress all three levels of the defense. So I like that ability to be that kind of versatile threat. I really like his strength, the ability to play through contact. He he could do it early in the down against press. He could do it mid-route, and he could do it at the catch point. He's also a really good blocker. He's a really violent blocker. But really, one of the things that stands out most, his finishing ability at the catch point. Outstanding, up, you know, climbing the ladder and making plays above the rim, but then also tracking the ball over the shoulder. He's got some focus drops mixed in there in the quick game, but just on those uh, high degree of difficulty catches, he comes down with it time and time and time again. And as I was watching him, there was a, a, a player that kind of like stuck early. It was like, a, I think my second game in, and I was like, man, like this one really hits. I'm, I'm going to look it up later and just see if uh, some of my notes with this player tracked. Dude, Chris Godwin all day for Rasheed Rice. In terms of like body type, near identical. Uh, in terms of usage, a lot of the things I wrote down about Chris Godwin coming out of Penn State really matched what I saw with Rasheed Rice. Godwin has been like, you know, that quote unquote power slot in the NFL. I think Rasheed Rice absolutely can do that, but also has that ability to line up outside. I love a Chris Godwin comp for Rasheed Rice. That one hit it over the head and really stuck for me. Yeah, when we talked about that over the weekend, I was like, yeah, that makes sense because of, of all the things you mentioned. I mean, he's a ball winner, and that's that's what stood out to me over the summer when I watched Rasheed Rice, and that's why he was my number one senior receiver coming into the year. It, it's just it, it consistently showed, um, and this was going to be his chance now as being the top dog in that offense, and uh, he has absolutely lived up to it. For my uh, uh, film room recap, I'm going with Johnny Newton, uh, the defensive tackle from Illinois. And look, that Illinois defense loaded might be my favorite unit to watch on tape, mostly because of those three defensive backs we talked about. Uh, uh, Witherspoon and Sidney Brown, uh, but also uh, Quan Martin, who uh, I've talked about many times before. Uh, as you know, just one of my favorite mid-round players, uh, a really versatile nickel. Uh, but Johnny Newton, a defensive tackle, this guy has been fun to watch. Uh, tick undersized, he's listed at 6'2", 295, uh, but he's so quick, both upfield and then laterally, he, so he can sidestep those blocks relentless he makes plays up and down the line of scrimmage and he's a smart player too like he you can tell he puts the time in with the film uh because of the way that he tracks the football his backfield vision uh the way he can anticipate play design so he's an explosive big man uh you see different types of uh violent arm moves uh, as a rusher only a redshirt sophomore, so he's got a big NFL decision coming up here in a few weeks. If he declares, I, you know, he'll earn a top 100 grade from me. It's just a matter of how high does he go. Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. That that defense is loaded. I remember hearing from people in the summer uh, that were going in there saying like, yeah, like there, there are a bunch of players uh, on in on this defense, and it's not just Weatherspoon because he was the guy that was getting most of the love, and obviously the Brown as well. But um, right. yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot of players to know uh, on this Illinois defense. Well, Dane, we talked about a bunch of players. We have. Uh, uh, we have- go ahead. Sorry, real quick. One more piece of news: uh, Tucker Craft, South Dakota State tight end, officially ah, declared today. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, my. My my tight end, uh, you know he's he's a sneaky possible first round pick in this wow. draft. I'm telling you, the guy is he's that good. I mean, he was 33 overall on my top 50 board. So I mean, I had him right there. Um, I you know I don't I don't know that I'll actually go uh, in the first, but I won't be surprised if he's 
you know, the top tight end for some teams. He is that type of ability. I'm telling you, this guy's for real. Yeah, I mean, that's, I have not done him yet. I mean, I lo- I loved Dallas Goddard coming out, and you know, that's he's going to get all those comparisons, yeah. obviously, with the same school. Um, but man, like I, that that would be impressive if they were able to put two tight ends in the top 40 from the FCS level. Uh, you know, that would be that would be very very impressive. Well, Dane, uh, this has been great as always. We've got a bunch of players that we've hit on in this segment. Let's do two more. Uh, let's welcome in Ella. It's time now to go on the clock. On the clock. All right, well, time now to transition to On the Clock as we welcome in Gabriella DiGiovanni to uh, take us through this week's debate just for a, uh, to kind of set the table. Dane has a one-point lead on me, so we'll Ooh. see if I can tie it up here uh, this week, Ella, and you can uh, introduce the topic. All right, it's a big week for you, Fran. We know that the value of running backs is a hot topic to debate. Some fans don't believe you should take one in round one, and this year there are two guys that are in that discussion. So I'm getting into the Thanksgiving spirit here. Which running back do you think a fan base would be most thankful for a year from now for their team drafting them in the first round and which one do you think would do the best job of feasting on opposing defenses so we're kind of tying in a discussion that is heating up around college football along with the upcoming holiday to really get into this one i like it and you got the thanksgiving theme in there obviously uh, happy thanksgiving to all of our listeners at home uh dane you have the honors of leading off here in this one and i get the second pick so essentially this is a two-player discussion, right? Because we're really talking about Texas running back, Bijan Robinson, Alabama yep. running back, Jameer Gibbs. Both players are great talents, uh, and you can get into the, the running back valuation discussion, but uh, Dane, you've got the honors of uh, picking which of these two guys you want to argue for. Yeah, this is one of those questions where, um, speaking of being thankful, um, you know, I'm very thankful to have the first pick uh, <laughs> and a chance to talk about the top offensive skill player in the draft, that Texas running back, B. John Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, this guy's got a special combination of elusiveness and power. And he's 220 pounds. Twitchy reflexes in his lower body. He can break ankles with those sharp cuts just as easily as he uses his strength and balance through contact. Uh, Bijan has 87 forced missed tackles this year. That leads college football, according to PFF. Uh, not quite as sudden as Jameer Gibbs. But he has the same type of vision, so he can set up defenders and make them miss. And he's 20 pounds bigger. Uh, so he has that uh, – he's proven himself that he can take a beating and be a bell cow where Gibbs at 200 pounds, that's still a little bit of a question mark. And so, you know, the question is, who will we thankful for – who will we be thankful for is on our NFL team a year from now? Uh, that's the main reason why I think Bijan is the answer because of that reliability deepened in November and December. On Saturday – uh, Robinson had 243 rushing yards, four touchdowns, led the Longhorns to victory. Gibbs, he was banged up last week, only had six carries, and then didn't play this last Saturday as they try to manage his touches. So not only does uh, Bijan have the power, the elusiveness to create, he can put defenses in conflict, but he wears them down too. He's a workhorse. And so, uh, you know, and, and also just for good measure, he's also a dynamic pass catcher. 29 targets this year, zero drops. So we're not talking about just a screen target here. They put him in the slot. They'll put him out wide. He'll run a wide receiver route tree. So in all honesty, I would be happy to have either Bijan Robinson or Jameer Gibbs on my NFL team next year, but I'll be more happy if I have Bijan next November because he's a playmaker as a rusher and receiver, and I know that uh, he's not going to wear down. I know he's going to be uh, you know, almost at 100% deep into the season. It kind of reminds me of uh, Zeke Elliott when he's coming out of Ohio State in that way. Zeke could do everything, 
Plus, you knew he would be fresh in that fourth quarter and then late in the season. To me, that's what Bijan offers. And of course, you had to throw the Buckeye reference Hi, he in He knows there. what he's that, doing. That was not lost on me. Playing his cards right. That's all right. So, um, <laughs> look, we, we've talked a little bit about Jameer Gibbs uh, in this segment. In fact, it was just a couple weeks ago when uh, our friend Dane uh, did bring up that Jameer mm-hmm. Gibbs was the most reliable player uh, in the draft. That was his number one pick, Jameer Gibbs, his most reliable player. So, uh, I would love to talk about Jameer Gibbs here this week in this discussion. I, I think one of the, there's really a, a kind of a three-pronged argument for a Jameer Gibbs over B. John Robinson discussion. Number one, I think you look at him as more of a big play back, and I think the numbers kind of bear that out. Uh, six and a half yards per carry this year compared to Bijan's 6.1. Uh, PFF, they've got a stat, Ella, that's called breakaway percentage, where basically it measures the percentage of yards that come on carries of 15 yards or more. So how many of your yards are come on those big plays? 57.2% of Jameer Gibbs' yards come on those big play runs, just 41% for Bijan. So again, just showing that big play ability, and we know uh, Nick Sirianni will say that uh, the big plays are what win games in the NFL. So you got that big playability with Jameer Gibbs. Obviously more value in the pass game. 40 catches for 370 yards. Uh, three touchdowns this year. Uh, 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 Bijan only has 19 catches. So 40 to 19, just from a volume standpoint, Jameer just a more proven pass target in that facet of the game. And then I think we just talk about the long-term viability. Dana did allude to the fact that Jameer a little bit banged up right now, but I think if you're t- counting on what he can be in the future, and that we are saying, like, you know, thankful a year from now, uh, 570 career touches for Bijan Robinson, 450 for Gibbs. And I'll just round this out by saying, just the, look at history. And in the last decade, so from the 2012, or the 20. 2012 to the 2022 draft classes, there has just been one Pro Bowl running back from the Big 12, and that's Joe Mixon. That's the history of defenses in the league, in that league. Uh, they just not, have not projected success at the running back spot. Joe Mixon, the only guy to be named to the Pro Bowl. Alabama by itself has had four with Najee Harris, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, and Eddie Lacy. And so, uh, you know, maybe the proof is in the pudding there with Alabama and what they've put forward into the NFL. But uh, Jameer Gibbs, uh, both look, both guys are great players. I like both players. But uh, if you're going to make that argument, that's how I would make it for Jameer Gibbs. I know that this isn't part uh, of the well, segment. Go ahead. I want the next stat, I would love to hear how many pro bowlers at running back have there been that have been 200 pounds. I'd love to hear that stat. Mm. I'll get back to you next week on that. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, I know this isn't part of the segment, but I'm okay. just curious both of your um, your opinions on this because we've talked a lot about this at length in this building here at the Novacare Complex the past week about how the NFL is really leaning into the run game this year. Of course, mm. it's still um, a pass-heavy league, right? But the way that we've seen teams play like the Eagles um, and really hitting the ground like Damian Pierce, DeAndre Swift, what he's been able to do against a very good Eagles defense, the Washington Commanders putting 152 yards on the ground to beat the Eagles, hand them their first loss. Do you think around the league this year, scouts are going to be putting more value in the running back position when there are players like Jameer Gibbs and Bijan Robinson this season, this coming out of this season, I should say. That's interesting. I think that that's where the discussion often gets like kind of splintered is the discussion of the value of the run game versus the value mm. of a running back uh, and say like, okay, well you can find a running back 
later in the drive. You don't need to pay the running back or as the value of the run game uh, in particular. That's where we've seen the efficiency spike uh, with, the, with the NFL. And Dane, I don't know if you've, t- if you've talked with anybody, any scouts uh, that where that opinion has kind of changed or if it's swayed based off what we've seen on the field this fall. But even just looking at all right, who are the leading like uh, rushers in the NFL right now, it's a, it is a lot of like the blue chip players that sure. were like top 50, you know, the top two round picks. Derrick Henry, uh, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Miles Sanders, Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, all of those guys were first or second round picks. Mm. The only guys that were not from that group of like the top 10 rushers, I'm just kind of looking through, uh, Damian Pierce, who went in the fourth round this year, uh, Jamal Williams, who was a, a free agent for the uh, for the Packer or for the uh, the Lions after signing as a, ooh, what was he, Dana, uh, coming out? He wasn't a, to- a top two round pick for the Packers. Um, and that, yeah, after that would be Ramondre Stevenson, who was a, a day three pick uh, last year. And so, yeah, I, I think that that will be an interesting discussion if the run game continues to be really effective for teams. Uh, but Dane, Dane, have you heard anything from NFL scouts on this topic? Yeah, and I think one of the key factors this year will be uh, just the depth of this running back class. Mm-hmm. This is shaping up to be a really deep class, and that's something that uh, might force teams that uh, are, are thinking about a running back in the first round say, hey, you know what? We like Bijan Robinson. We like Jameer Gibbs, but you know what? We also need offensive line. Let's grab our offensive lineman here, and then we feel really good about the backs. Uh, you know, Zach Evans in the second round, or Blake Corum in the early third. Wh- whatever you know, however it shakes out. Last year, we only had three running backs go in the top ninety picks. Mm. This year, I, I mean, I think we could see ten running backs in the in the first two days of the draft. Wow. I mean, I, I think it's a really deep running back class. And you know, assuming that the underclassmen that we expect to come out do come out, and that's something that um, will play a, a big factor in just where these running backs are drafted as well and was, how early they're drafted. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. As I guess if that's the case, and, and you've done more work on all of these running backs than I have, uh, if that's the case, and if we do have 10 backs that are seem to go that early, then how high will teams be willing to jump in on uh, Bijan or on Jameer Gibbs? I think that would be an interesting dis- uh, debate through the spring. Sorry, I just wanted to add that in because I think it is interesting when you see the landscape of the NFL look a little different than it did last year. Knowing the talent that's about um, to enter the NFL, does yeah. it change the minds a little bit or make them kind of think? Uh, obviously, Dane has a good point. They do need a good offensive line, too, if you want sure. these running backs to succeed. So. Sure. Right. Okay. So who now wins? I got to pick. You got to pick. I'm going with Dane. Ah! <laughs> yeah. That's the right choice. <laughs> it was, hey, it was I, a strong just, outing just for, for Dane. I mean, clarity. I mean, I have been saying for a while now that a lot of the things that we've said about Zeke coming out, I think we're going to say about Bijan too. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, I didn't just throw that in there. I, I have been saying that because I mean, Bijan, I think can do everything that, you know, you know, whether he has the ball or not, you know, blocking, uh, going out as a receiver, lining up wide, uh, just a traditional running back. He can do all those things. And I think so. Uh, they're not exactly apples to apples comparison, but a lot of the things that we said about Zeke, I think we'll be saying about Bijan, too. A lot of the the key metrics from pro football focus, Bijan did edge him out. I picked three mm. there. I obviously cherry picked three that worked. Uh, but there was one stat that really stood out to me. I was just talking about pass game stuff. Um the average depth of target from typically for a running back is, you know, close to the line of scrimmage, the screens and your checkdowns and your flats. 
very rarely do you see a guy go beyond like three yards down the field in terms of average depth of target. Bijan Robinson this year, 6.8. <laughs> Just insane. And so that you talk about like those designed like yeah. wheels and throwbacks yeah, yeah. and all those different, the, the, the running back sail routes, all the different ways that Bijan can be used in the pass game. Yeah, it's not there from a volume standpoint, only 19 catches to Jameer's 40. But uh, man, they, they, they find some creative ways to use those guys in the pass game. But uh, yeah, I don't blame well, you for the pick. <laughs> Throw 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 on the Iowa State tape, and, and he's running a, a post from the slot. That's like crazy. I mean, he's it, it, it's he's doing a lot of things that, and I wish they would do it more. I mean, you mentioned how the targets, uh, you know, Bijan has more targets than than Bijan, uh, or Gibbs has more targets. But I mean, I I think if they gave him more targets, the 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 receiving production would be uh, ridiculous. Yeah. So right. I mean, it's really a shame that we. I mean, if we're just talking Heisman and like best players in the country, I mean, I don't know how you have that conversation without Bijan. I just, mm. I wish like the TCU game, they just went away from him. And I don't, I, I wish the coaches did more into leaning into the talent that he has to offer like they did against Kansas uh, over the weekend two almost 250 yards. And, you know, it didn't even look like he was breaking a sweat. <laughs> well, Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, two of the premier talents uh, potentially in this upcoming draft, if both were to declare. Uh, Dane, Ella, great stuff as always. We will talk to you both next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. What makes those great players great? It's time to roll up our sleeves and go under the hood. All right, well, joining us here for this week's version of Under the Hood, a guy who's been on the show numerous times from ESPN, Jordan Reed. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jordan underscore Reed. Jordan, welcome back to the show, man. Always a pleasure being here, friend. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited because, uh, you know, I presented it to you. Hey, come on, do this segment. And I wanted to kind of leave it up to you in terms of what position you wanted to break down. But, of course... You're going to lean into the position you played uh, at a high level, playing it in, in college. Uh, let's talk through quarterbacks, man, and, and it's uh, it should be a fun conversation. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know why you gave me that choice. You already <laughs> knew what I was going to choose. <laughs> well, with that in mind, we'll start with the way I started every single week, and I'll just ask you, what's, what's your non-negotiable? What, at that position, it is hard to be a great player at quarterback without this one trait. Well, I think the one thing that I would choose always, well, really two, is accuracy and decision-making. I think those are really the two non-negotiables that I always look for and really the two first things that I look for in quarterbacks too, just where they're placing the ball. Um, are they consistent with their reads and then just the type of offenses that they're running? So accuracy and decision-making, those are two of the first things that I look for when I'm scouting quarterbacks. So let me ask you this, from a, from an accuracy standpoint, if a guy, if you're watching a guy and you say, you know what, uh, the issues that he's having mechanically lead to some inaccuracy issues, do you feel like, okay, that's something that we can correct and get a little bit better at? Or if does that completely still turn you off and you worry about if those mechanics will linger moving forward into the NFL? Well, I think something that's really important to know is that you have to know the difference between accuracy and ball placement when we're talking about with quarterbacks. And I think completion percentage is something that's very misleading especially when we're talking about college quarterbacks, just because in college you get these up-tempo offenses and you have guys that are throwing the ball 40, 50, sometimes even 60 times in some games, but everything is so east-west or perimeter-oriented. You got them throwing those quick perimeter screens um, and then some of those bubble screens to the running back, so they're going to have what's called inflated completion percentage. And then also you need to check the ball placement. Are they putting the ball in proper places uh, where their guys can have run after catch opportunities and things of that nature. So just understanding the difference between the two, I think that could really help. And then how do you define decision-making? And when you look at guys coming from such different offenses across the college landscape, uh, how do you kind of judge one guy against the other, uh, depending on what they're asked to do? 
Well, the toughest part I think about evaluating quarterbacks is just understanding the offense that they're in. And with college offenses, those guys aren't huddling at all. So I think that's a huge adjustment or a learning curve that they face entering the NFL just because most or if not all the NFL offenses, they're going to huddle. So these guys are going to be calling plays in the huddle for the first time. Everything's so signal based. And sometimes with these offenses, they're telling them where to go with the ball, whether they're what I like to call wide view or narrow view type of offenses. So with narrow viewed offenses, that's your half field reads, quick perimeter screens, quick bubble screens to the running backs. They're really only reading. Um, there's only two steps to it. Um, they have an outside receiver, inside receiver, sometimes to a tight end. So they're, the field is essentially cut in half, but sometimes you have some offenses that have what are called wide view offenses of where they're reading left to right, right to left, those full field read type of concepts, which is very rare in the college game. Yeah, and that's the thing is that, you know, we, we've all seen the the, uh, the stories of guys coming in from college to the NFL. Uh, there was the, uh, the the Bryce Petty, you know, coming out of Baylor, going to the New York Jets and, you know, him saying like, yeah, like I didn't know the different coverages. Like I didn't, I didn't, wasn't able, I didn't know what cover four was. I didn't know what cover three was by the time he got to the league. And that's the thing is when you look at all these guys, what they're asked to do at the college level is so, so important. And that context absolutely matters with all of these evaluations. Uh, the next part of the question for you, Aside from that, those two non-negotiables, what would you say are the three most important on-field traits uh, for a successful quarterback to be an NFL starter? And I, you can buzz through uh, the three, and then I'll, I'll hit you up with some follow-ups after. Um, well, the first one for me is confidence. I think the one thing that. that quarterbacks have to have is confidence. If you're not confident, and I mean, you're the engine of the entire operation. You're, if you're not confident in yourself, then nobody else is going to – you're not going to be able to infuse that type of confidence. So I think confidence is definitely number one for me. Uh, the next one is just processing, and that goes back to the whole decision-making thing of there's really three steps. When a quarterback is passing the ball, he has to see it, he has to process it, and then how does he react to the process that he sees? So how does he really counter-react to the defense of what he sees with that see, process, and react type of ability? And then the last one, I think, and we'll get into this a little bit later, is mobility. I think that's something that is really, really changed as far as the evolution of the game with quarterbacks. Yeah. And it's not necessarily just a quarterback – that you can design run concepts around. Can he get himself out of harm's way when those defenders are in his face or he sees a different flash or a different color jersey? Can he get himself out of the way, reset his base, and throw the football? So he has to have some type of mobility. You know, it's funny. I was so happy to hear you say the first thing, confidence there, because I've been really thinking about this, not just not necessarily with uh, college players making the jump to the NFL, but more so once those guys arrive in the league and if they are thrown into the fire and have to play right away. We've seen examples over these last couple of years of these young guys that go in and maybe they have those struggles, right, where uh, all of a sudden, you know, maybe that, that confidence is lost, whereas other teams are leaning into what a guy does well. And yeah, maybe that's not sustainable over five, six, seven years, right? So uh, you look at the way that the Eagles uh, have played with Jalen Hurts. You look at, uh, you know, what other teams have done with some of these, you know, obviously what the Giants are doing with Daniel Jones here this year. Build that confidence up, and then not only is that confidence there with that player, but that confidence also is there with his teammates. And you say, like, yeah, like, this guy has led us to a lot of success. We're putting up a lot of points on the board. And now that give that guy the, the time, the breathing room to be able to, to get better at some of the finer points of the game. I, I love that you went with confidence as that first trait. And I'll give you another great example. Miami with Tua Tagovailoa. No I yeah. think they've done a tremendous job of surrounding him with weapons. They brought the coach in that can value his skill set, and they've built a scheme around him to utilize his skill set. Now we're seeing the fruits of their labor with them going all in with Tua. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, and it's a two-way street, right? It's the the player has confidence in himself, and the guys around him then have that confidence as well, and it, it really uh, just leads to a, a guy really taking that next step. Uh, you said you want to talk about mobility a little bit later, so oh, let's get into uh, that discussion. I do want to ask you. Um, obviously, look, you, you played the position at a high level, like I mentioned. You had a, a highly decorated career. How have your evaluations evolved uh, over time, and did it happen? After your playing days, did it happen during? How have the uh, your thoughts on the position evolved over time? So it's really funny, and I always talk about like how I've seen the game from so many different lenses. I've coached for yep. five years on the F- FCS level. I played the game, as you mentioned earlier, and then also now being into the NFL draft, I've seen the game from so many different lenses. And the player that I always like to use as an example of what really changed my perception of the position was Josh Rosen. And if you remember coming out with that class, there were so many different quarterbacks that he was with. They all were different types. But I valued accuracy so much with Rosen. But what I missed on with him was just the mobility standpoint. And that's why I've changed my mindset so much on mobility and how important it is. And we're seeing just how important it is with guys like Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, even in the sense of how much mobility is valued with these quarterbacks. And it's like you have to have a baseline level of mobility to get yourself out of harm's way in order to survive in the NFL just because you're not going to be up to the speed of the game when you first enter the league. It's very rare to see these young quarterbacks being able to have success right away. So how are they able to use that uh, that extra skill set? They kind of use it. I don't like to use the word crutch. It's kind of like an extra skill that they have while they catch up psychologically and mentally. And we're seeing that now. As I talked about earlier with Justin Fields of how he's an extraordinary athlete and game hasn't really slowed down for him yet as a passer. But having that athleticism and mobility to use while that mental state catches up is really good for him. And again, bringing it full circle, it's that when you have that confidence in yourself and you're playing a little bit faster, a little bit looser, the game starts to slow down a little bit, uh, and you've got you're now you're getting those extra reps. You've got that goodwill built up, uh, and that's why that that confidence. I, I just going back to that, I think is so so important. And to your point, you know, you've got to be able to beat the rush. You've got to be able to beat blitzes uh, one, one of two ways, and it's just so hard for young quarterbacks to be able to do that with their mind. So you're going to lean on your legs more often earlier than not if you are going to be a drop back passer. So uh, I agree. That's something that you, you have to take into account with guys making that jump from college to the NFL. Uh, and I guess the, that's the, going to be my final question for you. Obviously, we all know quarterback reigns supreme. That's, that's the most important position in all of sports. But uh, I guess, do you think that this skill set, we're going to continue to see teams place more and more value on guys that have that extra dimension, that have that playmaking style, and get away from less of the pocket passer? I mean, it, it's been a conversation now for so many years, so I don't want to like beat a dead horse, but uh, I think it's becoming more and more more crystallized to be uh, you know, the, the norm as opposed to the exception. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's going to continue to evolve of what we've seen from guys like Justin Fields, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, some of these, Lamar Jackson, obviously, from those. Um, I think long gone are the days of those guys that just win strictly with their mind. You know, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, who's an outlier. Those guys that aren't necessarily mobile, but they can pick apart defenses with their accuracy and just their arms. Now, these offensive coordinators, they want to force you to play 11 on 11 and having that extra quarterback or having that quarterback as an extension of the run game. It just completely it completely opens the playbook and it forces defenders to take care or just have extra eyes on that extra guy as a runner and then also as a quarterback, too. 
And again, taking it back, uh, if you have that mobility, going back to those non-negotiables, if the accuracy is there and the decision-making is there and you pair that with that mobility, uh, now you're really cooking with gas uh, at that position with a young prospect. And as long as those other things, uh, those other boxes start to get checked, you feel really good about a guy's future. Jordan, uh, this has been awesome, man. Once again, thanks for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. We will talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks as always, friend. All right, so great stuff this week from Jordan Reed, from Dane Brugler, and of course from Gabriella DiGiovanni. We will talk to uh, those two later the next week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Great stuff from Jordan Reed. And we'll be back later this week. We've got Ben Fennel with Mock Drafts. We've got Ross Tucker with his picks for the week. We're going to try and get that episode out to you before you hit the road for your Thanksgiving Day travels. Or if you're at home making a turkey and you need something to listen to, we're going to have you ready uh, for uh, Thanksgiving and for Rivalry Weekend right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.